Okay, let's just get straight into things. If you want to find the book of 1 Peter uh, in your Bible, which uh, if you have a Bible, you can find it there. If not, don't worry, it will appear as if by magic on the screen behind me in a moment. Uh, 1 Peter's a book right at the end, or near the end of the Bible, near the end of the New Testament. So if you do have one in front of you, you can find your way to there. Um, I'm going to read this. And then we're going to pray, and then we'll get into the... Sorry, I'm just moving all these... Such a mess up here, guys. It's terrible. Goodness. Bring my brush, do some sweeping. Right, here we go. 1 Peter 1, verses 10 to 12. It says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that each of us can come here this morning with whatever has been happening in our lives, whatever we're feeling, whatever we're worrying about or concerned about, whatever we're happy about, but all of our life, we don't have to just leave it at the door and pretend it doesn't exist. We can bring it all to you, Jesus. And we can come and bring our hearts in worship to you and say, before anything else, I want to trust in you. And I want to know you. I want to follow you. That's what it is to be a follower of, to be a Christian, is to be a follower of Jesus. And we want that to be our story, that we're those who follow after you and we pray that you'd help us to do that this morning the holy spirit you'd draw our hearts to you again you'd help us to see you again help our hearts to know your goodness your grace your forgiveness your power afresh jesus we want to know you that's our prayer this morning come speak to our hearts we pray as we study this passage together amen amen in, in 1066, which is nearly a thousand years ago, um, the French, the Normans, uh, conquered Great Britain. At the Battle of Hastings, William the Conqueror sailed over and shot King Harold in the head with an arrow, which if you're English, you'll know this story very well. Um, and the English know this story very well because it was the last time that Great Britain was invaded or at least I thought so, until I moved here three and a half years ago, and the Dutch claimed that they actually invaded England. Yeah? You know this story? It's not true. But the Dutch claim it to be true, that in, when was the 1688, which the English called the Glorious Revolution, when, uh, when the, the, the monarchy came back to England and our current monarchy system came into being, 
but actually, it was it was William of Orange, who was a Dutch king, who 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 kind of. From the English point of view, we brought him back. From the Dutch point of view, they sent him to invade. So it depends who you talk to, quite how the story, how the story goes. Um, but in 1066 was the last time that Britain was invaded and uh, William the Conqueror came over. Which, it was kind of a handy name that he was given, William the Conqueror. If he hadn't conquered England, if he'd failed, he'd have had to carry that name for the rest of his life, you know? William the Conqueror, he wasn't actually a conqueror. I'm sure that wasn't his real name. But the story of 1066 and the Battle of Hastings is depicted on what's called the Bayer Tapestry. Have you guys heard of that? Yes. You probably haven't, because it's a bit of an English thing. It's, it's not, I'm not going to an English history lesson, don't worry. But you can see it here. It's on display in France, and it's this huge, and I think it's about 80 meters long piece of embroidery that talks about the battle and has a picture of King Harold with an arrow in his head. And uh, you may have seen in the news a couple of weeks ago that the, uh, the French Premier, Emmanuel Macron, offered it back to the British as a, for, as a present for a short, for a loan period, um, as kind of an act of goodwill. And even though Brexit's happening, we're still all friends, you can borrow this tapestry for a while. Which I thought sounded like a bit of a threat, you know? He's like, as a present, he's offering us a picture that depicts the last time the French defeated the English. It's, it's sort of saying, if this Brexit goes wrong, the Europeans are going to get you. We're coming for you, so just watch out. But what, what this story, what this tapestry depicts is it's a decisive moment in history, which for me is, if you're English, in fact, for all of us, actually was a, was a turning point in history. Even the, the English that many of us would speak, if it wasn't for 1066 and the Battle of Hastings, you wouldn't speak it. Because the, the English before then was a kind of a Saxon uh, dialect which sounded a lot more like present-day Dutch, actually, or German. But it was the Norman influence, the Norman French language that kind of molded it into the English that we have today. So if it wasn't for 1066, we'd all be speaking some sort of equivalent of, of Dutch. Who knows what the world would look like? But it's this decisive turning point in history and you get those moments in history where something just significant happens, sometimes in a day or over a year or a period of time when you, you're able to look back now and think, well, everything changed in that moment. Our world was turned upside down, or at least that's what it can look like for us. But as believers in Jesus, we believe that the actual decisive moment in history is the story of Jesus of who he was, who he is, what he did for us 2,000 years ago. And what we've been reading about in this passage is that Peter's telling us that this isn't just a story from a comic book or a myth, something that you'd read about in a, in a Greek novel written thousands of years ago that's just a nice piece of imagination. But this story is actually something that really happened and that had far greater impact than any English battle or defeat or anything else. There's something hugely important about this event. So we're going to look at a few reasons that this moment in history is so important to us. A few reasons why we need to pay attention to this ancient truth. First of all, what Peter's telling us about here, that these prophets 
prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. They searched, they inquired, they looked into it. He's telling us the story of the Old Testament. You've got these prophets who are searching, looking, trying to understand this mystery, trying to get their heads around it. And many people, maybe you're here this morning and you, you don't know Jesus, you're not a Christian or you're not sure, you're trying to figure things out. For many people, one of the big objections is the Bible, uh, the scriptures. They think, well, surely that's just outdated and, and irrelevant. I think it's something like in, in, uh, in 2015, there was a survey that took place here in the Netherlands, and 67% of people said they'd never read a Bible. Uh, the same number, 67%, didn't own a Bible. They'd never had one in their house. They'd never picked one up. They'd never looked at one. And in, in, in Amsterdam, this was across the whole country, but in Amsterdam, that, high would be much, that number would be much, much greater. The vast majority of people in our city have never read the Bible. Um, and they would think, well, why would I? This is just an old, dusty book that, that either it was once true and it isn't many, anymore, or it was never true. It's just a bunch of fables. It's just doesn't, it doesn't really have any meaning to us. But the thing about what we believe about the Bible is that it's not only true, but it is completely relevant to your life today. That it's not something that's just dead and dusty, but it's something that's alive. Something that's alive. And you might think, maybe you're a Christian and you believe that, but you've got questions, well then how do I read the Bible? How do I understand the Bible? How do I interpret it? How do I make sense of it? And that's, we don't have time to really get, get into that this morning, but. If I just give you one piece of advice, the best advice when it comes to reading the Bible is actually to let the Bible read you. <laughs> kind of do it, do it the other way around. It says in, in Hebrews, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, unlike the Bayer Tapestry, the Bible isn't a lifeless, dead, dusty document that we just put on display that's just gonna kind of one day fall apart and biodegrade and disappear, but it's something that's alive. And you've gotta let the Bible question you. We can sometimes come with all our questions and objections the best way to read the Bible is let it to question you. Let it to reveal your thoughts and attitudes. Let it challenge your worldview, the way that you perceive and understand the world around you. Let it challenge it. Let it, let it lead you. And not lead you just to a bunch of truths, but the Bible leads us to a person. That's what Peter's saying here. These prophets are, are searching, inquiring, because they're trying to understand the story behind everything that's happened. And the Bible is leading us to Jesus. When you read the Old Testament, that's the story that it's pointing to all the time. It's bringing us back to Jesus. It's revealing who he is to our hearts. And all of it, it points to his death, his resurrection, his forgiveness. And it's calling us to personal knowledge of him. And one of the ways we know this is this is what Jesus told us to. Because that's one, another one of the objections that people have to Christianity 
is that, uh, you know, Jesus was a nice guy, probably, if he even existed. But it's, it's everybody else that has made him into some sort of hero. And actually, he was just a nice kind of guy who did some nice things. And we've tried to turn him into a god, that he didn't make any of these claims about himself. But actually, he did. He made some pretty radical claims. There's a story of after his resurrection where he meets some of his followers. Um, they're, they're on a journey. He bumps into them on the road, and they don't recognize him. And they're reading the Bible, and they're trying to understand it. They're trying to understand what's just happened, that the guy that they thought they was their savior has died. They're trying to figure out what's going on. And he says this to them. He says, and he said to them, Oh, foolish ones. That's great the way that Jesus speaks sometimes, isn't it? Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. That's a lesson there in how to read the Bible. As you read it and think, what does this tell me, not about me and my life, but what does this tell me about Jesus, who he is? Because that's how Jesus taught his followers to read the Bible. Read it and find out what it says about Jesus, not about yourself. And that's what Peter's showing us in this passage. He's telling us that even the Old Testament of your Bible has a clear purpose and message. He's telling you about Jesus, who he is. And this is so important to us. This is why here every week we preach the Bible. You think, well, surely there's other things. You know, let's, one week, let's just take a break. Let's just talk about something else, something that happened in the news, something that, that's funny and entertaining. Let's just get a comedian up there just to crack a few jokes. But no, we don't. You know, sometimes I crack some jokes. Sometimes you laugh. Sometimes you look at me like I'm an idiot. But that's not my purpose to make you laugh. My purpose is I want to open up the Bible and not just to shout dogma at you, but to say, no, this is alive. This can pierce right into your life, into your heart, and it can change you powerfully. There's nothing more important. There's this, uh, this half an hour, 40 minutes of your week is, um, you may not feel like it's a highlight, but it really is. Not because it's me up here talking, but we get, we get this uninterrupted time to open the Bible together and say, what does God say? Not what do I say, but what does he say? What's his point of view? Which is the most important thing. And also this piece of history is important because it's not just the story of the Bible, but it's, it's a true story. It's a true story. Again, that would be another objection to what we believe that well maybe some of it's true maybe bits of it are true but you know most people I think would say well did Jesus really did he really live is there any evidence to say that this man walked the earth you know maybe we can just believe in the in the kind of the parables the stories but do we have to really believe that he lived I was on a, a journey a few months ago I was traveling I was going through the airport and uh, I came across this magazine, you've probably heard of it, the National Geographic magazine. And it, on the front cover, it has, uh, the story was the real Jesus. So I brought it to find out what they were gonna say. And the journalist basically spent a few weeks, she's an archeologist, so she, and she spent a few weeks in Israel exploring the country, trying to find out what people 
uh, if there was actually any evidence, if I can find the right page, to prove that Jesus existed, to discover who he was. And there's this, this brilliant piece. I should have put some sort of marker in here to find the right page. If we just read it from cover to cover, we'll get there eventually. Here we go. And she starts this journalist. She says, might it be possible that Jesus Christ never even existed? That the whole stained glass story, which we have some of those here, is pure invention? So that's the question she comes into this article with. You know, isn't this just an invention? Maybe that's all that Jesus Christ was. So she goes and she starts to ask archaeologists and scholars and professors. And these are some of the answers that they gave. This is Eric Myers, who's an archaeologist and professor. He said, the details have been debated for centuries, but no one who is serious doubts that he's a historical figure. She finds another one, a guy called Byron McCann, who's another archaeologist and professor. He says, I can think of no example who fits into their time and place so well that people say doesn't exist. And then she goes through, archaeologist, professor, one after the other, and all of them saying, well, no, the evidence is really there. That there was a man called Jesus who lived and died and then rose again. The evidence is really compelling. And you might think, well, where's, can we find some bones? You know, can we find his grave? Well, no, he rose again. <laughs> He's not there. But the evidence that he existed is compelling. This is, this is what happened. This is a true story. This is history, the most important history. This good news that has been announced to us isn't fake news. It genuinely is good news. What happened 2,000 years ago is the most explosive moment in human history. It's when our world turned upside down and everything now pivots around this moment. Everything points back to this moment in history when Jesus came, his life, his death and resurrection. It all points to that, everything. And this story is important. It's a story of the Bible, it's a true story. And it's important that it's, it's news and not just advice. Because as it said here in verse 12, it was revealed to them they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. See, the gospel, which is the message of who Jesus is and what he's done, as Peter says here, is, is good news. And it's, it's for us. It was revealed to them they were serving not themselves, but you, us. This news, this announcement is not just a historical fact, but it's for you, for each of us. It's a story that's for us. And it's not just advice to us, it's news, it's good news. Because the thing is, most other religions, even whether people would say they're religious or not, but most belief systems, and everybody believes something, however secular you are, you all believe something. But most of them really, what they do is they give us advice. If you do these things, if you think in this way, if you believe certain things, if you follow certain paths, 
If you eat the right diet, if you read the right books, if you go on the right pilgrimage, if you do the right things, then maybe you'll, you'll, you'll receive something from God or some sort of higher power, some sort of being. They offer advice to us. But the gospel doesn't offer us advice. It offers us news, good news. It points back to something that's happened. It doesn't point forward and say, if you just work harder and live harder and do a bit better, you know, even all the time, our, the, the social media we consume, all the time, it's giving us advice on how to think, what we're supposed to do, or if we're supposed to have an opinion about this, or I'm supposed to care about this, I need to be outraged about this thing. It's all the time, it's giving us advice about how we should think, trying to shape our worldview. But the Christian message isn't just full of advice, it's full of news of what's happened. And the Bible does have advice in it of how to live, but it all comes firstly from this place of what's already happened. That our salvation has already been received for those of us who are followers in Jesus. And it's no longer about your story because you might look back upon your life and think, you might look back upon your week this morning and think, well, I've not really, I've not really done enough. You know, the news from my stories is pretty shallow, it's poor. I've not really lived up to any sort of standard. I've failed. But we're not looking back to the news about our life and our accomplishments and our achievements. We look back to the news of who Jesus is and what he's done. And that's the good news. That's the greatest news. And all of this is received by the work of the Holy Spirit. It says they preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit who comes to witness to our hearts of who Jesus is, of what he's done. It says in Romans, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If you don't know this good news, then just ask God. Ask him to come and reveal it to you. That's what it is to believe, to have faith in God. It's a gift. It's the work of the Holy Spirit who comes into your life. Because it might be that everything I'm saying just sounds like gibberish or nonsense. And that's fine. If you're not understanding me, that's fine. Sometimes I don't understand myself. But what you do need to know is that this truly is good news that will change your life, be the best decision you ever make. And if you think, well, I don't really understand, ask God. Just say, come and reveal to my heart who you are. And he'll come and he'll do that. He'll speak to you. And it's a story. It's news, not advice. And it's a story about something that's happening, not just in the past, it's not just history, but something that's happening now. As it says in this passage, it was revealed to them that it was serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. And this word, now, is such an important word 
Because it's not just about having to look over our shoulder, look back at what's happened, but this story is true and alive for us today. It says, as we go through this letter, we'll come on to this verse in a few weeks' time, in 1 Peter 2, verse 10. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you would not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. It goes on in 1 Peter to say, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It says in Ephesians, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And you might think, well, this, this story is just so distant from me. Even as a believer in Jesus, sometimes it just feels distant and your heart doesn't really seem to be able to connect with it. But it's true now. If you've had a week where you just feel guilty, embarrassed, you didn't even really want to come here today, you didn't really want to have to look anybody in the eye, the reality is, but now you've received mercy. You've now received his grace. He welcomes you into his family now. Because of what Jesus has done, it's not that something happened in the past and now we have to go through some kind of ritual or process to engage with him in the future, but you can meet with God now. That his mercy and grace is fresh for you right now in this moment. Because Jesus said in Matthew 13, he said, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people, they long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. We're in this amazingly blessed, privileged position. Whereas Peter was saying, as Jesus is saying here, all these prophets studying, trying to understand what's going on. And we get to look back over this history and we're blessed, we're in this privileged position that we can see now who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We can see now how our life fits into the story of what he's done. We're in this blessed position. Peter wrote this so that we could just have this wonderful gratitude. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that you've put me in this place where I can know you, where I can receive you. I don't have to scrabble around anymore trying to search for meaning in life, but I, I know the meaning. I know what it's all about. And it's also finally, it's a story that we can get wonderfully lost in because it finishes with a bit of a peculiar end where it says things into which angels long to look. And you can think, what's he talking about here? The thing about angels is that the Bible says that they're eternal. They don't die, which means they're probably significantly cleverer than you are because they've experienced a whole lot more than you have. And yet, even though they're eternal, and they're a lot wiser and smarter than you, they still want to look into this. They still want to look at Jesus and find out more about who he is. 
And these, this verse here, it's, it's in the present tense. They're continually longing. They're coming again and again and again, all throughout eternity, all throughout history. These angels are coming to find out who is, who is this Jesus? What's he about? What's this salvation about? What's the kingdom of God about? They're searching. They're longing to find out more and more and more. They never get bored in it. And the thing is, that can be true for us as well. My encouragement for you today would be just lose yourself in this story. Lose your life to it. All your dreams and hopes and desires, your plans, your longings, throw them all into this. Lose yourself in this story because you'll find it will keep feeding your soul. That's why we preach the gospel here every week because we need to hear it because it's food nourishment for our being it does us good the gospel the message of jesus it's not the a b c it's the a to z it's everything we just keep coming back to it again and again and we find our life and our fulfillment our dreams we have this wonderful privileged position because if you think about it for a perfect angelic being they can only ever understand it to one degree because they get to look on but as a perfect being they can only ever understand what Jesus has done from a certain angle but you get to experience it from a completely different angle there's there actually it's it's a weird way to think about it but there's a greater privilege to come to this story as a sinner Does that make sense to you? You might think, surely I'd much rather come to Jesus being perfect. (laughs) That's the lie that we tell ourselves all the time. I'd much rather come to him having had a good week, having somehow earned to be here. It's actually a greater privilege to come to him and say, God, I've I've got nothing to offer you. (laughs) I've blown it. I've failed. That's a great privilege to be able to come to God and say, there's nothing in my life impressive here. The only thing that's impressive is you and who you are and what you've done. It's not to say that we shouldn't try and live for God. We should live a life worthy of his calling, but it's not to earn anything, not to try and win his favor, because we've already received that to the fullest extent. We've already received all the mercy we could ever need, all the grace we could ever need. And now we get to just come and enjoy this wonderful salvation that you can come again to him this morning and say, God, I've blown it, but I can receive your forgiveness again and again and again. We can just keep coming back to him and receive his love again and again, over again. Keep coming and receive his mercy. And we, we, we can look back at this story and we can realize that even in our fallen state, that we've somehow been caught up in this story you could look at the Bayer tapestry and it's just images of people a thousand years ago but you can come to the story of Jesus it's a bit like coming and looking at an old school photo you can try and find yourself in the story and realize oh goodness I'm in here somewhere that I'm part of this story as well but the most important thing is that not that (laughs) that Jesus has stepped down into our story, into our time, into humanity. He's come to know us, come to reveal himself to us. 
Let me pray. And then we're going to respond by worshipping God together. Jesus, our, our heart's desire, or at least what we want our heart's desire to be, is that like these angels, we just keep longing to know more of you. We want to be lost in worship and wonder of what you've done for us. That it doesn't matter where we've come from this morning. It doesn't really even matter how we feel. What matters is this moment in history, this life you lived, the death you died, that you rose again and defeated death and you've now caught all of us up with that story that as believers in you, we, we can look into this story and know now that we died with you and rose again with you. You've given us this new birth, this new life that you've brought us into this story. But the real joy and wonder is to look upon you and who you are, not to worry about our position or status, but to get lost in the wonder of you, of your overwhelming blessings towards us, just the richness and love of your character. God, and we, we just, we ask Holy Spirit that you would come and reveal this to our hearts. That you'd help us to live lives of just getting lost in wonder in you. Of more and more just seeking you and following you. We want to be a church of people together that when we gather together, we just long to get lost in you, get lost in worshipping you. And pray for those that are here that don't know you, who have got questions about you, Jesus, and questions about Christianity and God and all sorts of objections and doubts and worries. We don't want to just ignore them and brush them aside, but I pray, Holy Spirit, that you come and speak to them. You come and draw their hearts to you even just as we go on with this service, that you'd help them to get, take those first steps and getting lost in wonder of who you are and what you've done. Because there's no better way to live. There's nothing more fulfilling or satisfying. There's no richer beauty to behold than who you are.